hey welcome to red river podcast uh tom ryan man uh just uh checked out your movie i wanted to get it nice and fresh before we did this um and that's why you're on so uh you emailed me you yeah. are a film director obviously because you just put together a two and a half hour fucking movie so what's up man welcome thank you thank you sam thanks very much i appreciate the opportunity to come on yeah man i mean you know we're just uh morons talking about movies music and pop culture so um man My favorite okay. subjects <laughs> for, for sure so um we love anthologies and uh, I'm, I, I keep saying we because I'm waiting for Brian to sign on. I have no idea where the fuck he is. I just yeah, figured, no problem. I figured we'll start without him. Um, we love anthologies, just like everything. And and watching. So, what is the it, theater? So it, the movie is called Return to Theater of Terror. Right. Uh, I, I I know nothing about you. Right. Okay. So this is this is a, a getting to know you episode basically because I'm very curious. So why is it called Return? Did I miss the first one? Yeah, the first one was 2019 release called The Theater of Terror. Okay, so it was like the same idea and stuff, right? Yep, yep, same idea. Um, four short stories in a movie theater. Okay, very yeah. cool. And uh, so it, it, this one has four short stories. Is uh, is there like basically it's it's the same thing, just four different stories? Because I, I I almost right. I, I'm an I'm an idiot. I should have asked about the first one but I, I didn't notice <laughs> because so the the company is called theater of terror right that's right yes yeah we're called theater of terror it's llc and uh uh we're a production company and we made many different movies uh day nine faces uh wrapped um but when it came to the anthology we decided to call it the theater of terror after the production <laughs> company and it was kind of fitting for considering well, the plot and yeah yeah, and and because in my head, I, I for some reason I didn't notice. You sent me like the link to the movie, and I I, I did notice that it said right. return and stuff. But like I said, uh, like I said, we love anthology movies, and and the one thing that I noticed about um the four short stories is that for people that I'm gonna guess that that are from a similar age like us, it had like a bunch of nods to a bunch of stuff. Um, so, uh, do you want to break down the stories? Like, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to give too much away of yeah. them, but like, you know, basically a kid goes into a movie theater and then, you know, the projection of shows, shows them some movies. The first one, uh, is a subject that I think all of us really love. Like, I love a good time hop story. I love a good time machine story, time travel, and it's done in black and white. So if, if you just want to Black and white it, looks magnificent too. It looks yeah, so thank crisp. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's um Soothsayer uh was kind of this uh really uh, really a film that I I kind of always wanted to make. I grew up on Universal Monster movies. Um loved the backdrops, the settings, the the dramatic acting, uh the music, the hits, right? All that stuff was just uh so appealing about those those films. Uh, and so when we set out to do this anthology, I knew that one of the films I wanted to do was going to be a, a black and white throwback. And I had been reading a collection of short stories by an author named C.M. Eddie Jr. And uh, he was very good friends with Harry Houdini. And uh, he had written a collection of short science fiction stories that I read while I was on vacation in Florida for a week. 
And I was so inspired by these stories that I, on the plane ride home, I had my laptop with me. I opened it up and I wrote Soothsayer. Um, you know, the challenging thing with Soothsayer was basically the, uh, the time machine, um, which we built and designed at, you know, a production meeting kind of brainstormed that idea and just kind of sketched it out. And we, uh, we built it. So that was incredibly challenging, but all those pieces that we put together were really to, um, just lay that framework and create that world of that old dramatic Hollywood, black and white, sci-fi, fun, Saturday afternoon type film. Um, and so that's kind of the story behind Soothsayer and, and the inspiration behind it. And I'm yeah, glad that well, you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause you never know, you know, it's like, listen, we're all like horror fans. We're all anthology fans. And sometimes you don't know what you're getting into. Like, you know, growing up renting videos and um, just like I always say, you, you read the synopsis of, of a good horror movie or a good thriller uh, and everything sounds good. You know, it's yeah. like, holy shit, like teens go into the woods and get killed. Like, I'll, yeah, <laughs> sign me up. And, you know, so you never know what you're getting. Uh, and, you know, I was just texting Brian the whole time I'm watching it going like, this is actually really fucking good. This is like, <laughs> you know, like I just, I, I don't, I like I, everything. Like it was directed well, it was acted well, it was executed. Um, and you know, the the first one, like I said, everything that you just mentioned, it it does have that that homage to 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 that and uh, the acting for sure. Um, and, uh, so that, th that's a great way to kick it off. So let's just go through the movie a little bit there and then we'll get kind of like a backstory on you. So that's like the first story. Uh, the second story, you know, what I really love too is, um, we're all fans of body horror and anytime there's something wrong with you physically, that's mm -hmm. an issue. And it's a pretty scary thing because I know I'm never going to time travel. I know. I'm probably never going to run into Michael Myers anywhere, but right. you know, if you get a splinter, maybe your foot might get infected. And I'm going to ask you that splinter looked like somebody actually put it in his fucking foot. Was that a real yeah. splint? It was a real splinter. <laughs> it yeah. was a real splinter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because of some stuff contractually, we couldn't stick it in his foot, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> No, in all honesty, uh, uh, that's Jim Thalman, and he's a he's a hell of an actor and a hell of a trooper. And um, you know, if getting a better performance by Jim and a splinter in his foot would have worked, I'm sure he would have insisted on doing it. But no, that's the that was awesome effects by an effects artist uh, named Beatrice Sniper, um, who put that in his foot. And uh, yeah, it's it's what's you know what's so funny is that that's one of the most cringeworthy scenes in the film is when you just see the splinter in his foot. I think because so many people have experienced that at some point. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, kind of uh, yanking that out of your foot uh, gives everybody that familiar feeling. And I think that really just starts off the film on that journey through, like you were describing, the body horror that actually um, follows. And, and I feel like it's one of the like out of the four, it might be the most like cinematic, like long, like it just seems like like the one that could almost have been like a full, full movie, you yeah. know, it was very, it was just great, man. You know, like I, I'm going to put links up to this stuff. So, so people could watch it. I know you're doing some screenings, but like, yeah. you know, for, for obviously someone who's limited with a budget or whatever you could do, 
Like, I really fucking think you were, you did great. Was, uh, Langan, you have anything on Splinter? Well, I did. Well, not, it was just a question that came to me. Um, choosing to do an anthology, because I, I watched a documentary about the history of anthologies called uh, Tales of the Uncanny, I found. And uh, oh. they brought up an inter- interesting point that at a certain point, uh, like before the 80s, way after the Hammer and Amicus, I think mm-hmm. they used to do a lot of those. But it was expensive for studios to do anthologies because they had to have different. I never thought of it like you have to have different sets constructed for sure. versus a regular picture that you could have even in one scene or something if you wrote it that way. Sure. So taking on an anthology is very ambitious of you. Like, were you just like, always wanted to do one like is that like your desire to do one is it what do you find that more challenging than be doing a regular film or yeah so um i was speaking uh to sam a little earlier about our first anthology was titled the theater of terror we did that one in 2019 that was a film that we did following up um i had done a a feature film called faces uh back in 2014 and uh then i followed that up by doing a short film and I, I had this desire to do so many different things. And I was like, oh, I want to do a creature feature. I want to do a werewolf movie. I want to do an alien movie. I want to do dolls. I want to do. And there was all this different stuff I wanted to do. And so um, a friend and colleague of mine named Russell Hackett brought me a story called The Bookworm. And it was a short story. It wasn't really a script. It was more in a short story format. And he said, I think we can make a feature film out of this. And so I looked at it and I really loved the story, but I thought it was much smaller than a feature film. I, it just reminded me of these old creep show type episodes or Tales from the Crypt. And I said, I think we should do this, but as a short film. And then I said, because I want to do this as well. And I want to do this. And I said, why don't we do an anthology? And so I, I, I wrote a screenplay for Bookworm. And then I wrote, went out and wrote three more shorts, The Gift uh, about a doll, um, um, Abducted, which was about uh, alien visitors and Endangered, which was about a werewolf. And um, we did that first anthology and it was such a great experience as an independent filmmaker because I, the, the feature that I had done faces was about, I think it was 17 days on set. And it was just such a big project and just so many people involved and, and so much focus on that one film and that one story. And, and it, it was, it, it was just kind of exciting to know that we could do all these different stories with all these different actors and all this different subject matter and, it, it, it is a it is an enormous um, outing and um, a lot of responsibility and a lot of production. But the way I always approach the anthologies is very grounded, where I said, these are the four movies that we want to make. Um, how much money could we raise to start making these movies? And let's let's take this as one film at a time expecting that if we do not complete all four films and complete this anthology, at least we have successfully made a couple of really great short films. And that's the way that we always approach it. So we'd make all the films. And then at the end of it, I'd say, do we have enough to make the wraparound story? We would then add the wraparound story. We always had that in mind, but it was really a step-by-step process where we knew this might get out of hand or this might get beyond our, control where we could make this happen and so let's just try to finish one at a time and we did the same thing with the sequel anthology we came out with those four stories you know we tried to raise twenty thousand dollars for the entire production i think we only raised like 13 and we just got to work and started making them and then i put my own money in and um we had some other uh, people come in and contribute uh, a few dollars that helped us out but um 
it was always with that intention to build it piece by piece. And in a perfect world, we finished the whole thing and we were able to get the anthology done. And uh, but if Murphy's Law applies, then we just wind up getting a collection of short films that we could at least share individually. And uh, so luckily enough, uh, we were able to finish it and we were happy about that because we think that's how it should be seen as an anthology. And um, where, like, where could I watch the, the first one? The first one is on Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi. Um, okay. Yeah, there's. Tubi. Yeah, you could check it out on Tubi. Um, type in the theater. I'm not sure how easy it is to search it out just by searching it. Um, I know I've always had problems with Amazon. Like you have to type my name, the name of the movie, independent film, like just to bring it up, you know. They'll show you yeah. every other th thing that starts with the letter of my movie before they show you my exact title. <laughs> so hey, listen, I I don't want I don't want to flex on on the audience here, but I'm pretty good on the internet, so I'll figure it out for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, and it's funny to to hear you talk about you know the shorts we had on a friend of ours, Frank Sabatella, that did a bunch of shorts as well, um, and that is the thing. Like I we I don't know much about the shorts world. Um, I would imagine putting out the anthology is like you said like the the um the goal and stuff but like what is the universe of short movies like i feel like do people pay attention to it is it do you find yeah. it you know it's i guess like i play music so i would imagine maybe it's like putting out an ep or a single <laughs> yeah short films are usually calling cards they're usually festivals love short films um especially within a certain time frame our short films are actually longer than the ideal time frame of a short film for a festival but um, that's usually where they find their home. There's another outlet called Shorts uh, TV, Shorts HD TV. And they actually distribute short films. They show them all over Europe and South America and, and, and in the United States. I, I'm, I'm not sure if – I think it is uh, also available in the U.S., but I know it's available in the U.K. I've actually sold short films to them in the past. So there's a home for short films. They're more, um, I think – I like to do them kind of as calling cards and, and I always, I always like to think that all my short stories are kind of worthy of a pitch for a feature. But um, you know, as I said before about bookworm, some of them are kind of built to be shorts as well. But uh, yeah, in the, in the case of an anthology um, you hope that you finish it because I do, I, I do believe that these belong in the form of a feature and uh, yeah, in short form, it's, it's sometimes harder to get more eyes on them because there's there's tons of short films out now suit really creative ones if you just go on youtube shorts you can find a million of them yeah uh, but they kind of get lost in the shuffle i think yeah that's you know that that's the thing about technology now you know it's just easier to be found harder to be seen for sure yeah. uh because everyone's doing it and but you know the creativity that everyone has is great and 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 it's funny you said uh you know, your, your writing uh, should be, you know, it should be considered for, for like long form because I feel that way about all four of these. So the third story um, is haunted, which is a really cool idea because it's like um, it's like the crossing of both worlds and there's nothing really to give away, you, you, you know, within the first like minute or so it's like you have essentially like a haunted house or something going on in 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 the first part and then you have this like you know kind of like a crook type you know like a psychic or whatever the hell he is like a yeah. paranormal paranormal right right yeah comment and then they they cross paths and it's as it's happening i was just like oh shit like this 
this seems like, you know, like I feel like I could have seen this episode on like Tales from the Crypt, you know, like it was yeah, just yeah. very much so. So, I mean, anything you want to say about Haunted? Haunted is really inspired by uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker. And um, there's a few Easter eggs in it, too, that kind of reference the show. Uh, um, but, yeah, we want I, I've always wanted to do a, a, a story about a ghost story. And um, this was a fun way to do it where it, it wasn't your typical ghost story. And um, I used to host a podcast called uh, True Ghost Stories. And I was always we kind of played good cop, bad cop. I was the skeptic. And then my partner was the believer. And I uh, we would always kind of have these these ghost hunters on and witnesses to paranormal activities. And we would interview them. And um, while I understood that the lifeblood of our podcast was people that believe in ghosts. So you had to be very careful about being too skeptical because you want people to listen into your show and and listen to what they believe in. Um, but at the same time, I used to uh, really just kind of poke into the specific ideas of, of what it would be like to experience a haunting. And so when we did this, um, <clears throat> this film, I thought it'd be fun to get that con man, man and kind of show the guy that would prey on people that very easily want to believe this type of thing and um, and how easy it is to kind of get paid for something like that, um, especially when you're dealing with old ladies that are very superstitious or religious. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And the character, Brett, uh, Brett Eidman played the, the lead character of Carl uh, McGavin, uh, who's named after the actor, Darren McGavin, that played Kolchak. Um, so, um, yeah, that was a fun one. I got to work with some amazing uh Actors that I've been dying to work with for a long time. Jen Plotsky, uh, Brett was another one. Gareth Tidball was another one. Uh, we introduced young Emma Waldron. That was her first independent film. And that's just a great story in and of itself, how we got to work with that young lady. So that was a fun one. Yeah. I, once again, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, no. I, I was just going to give him give him his props on, on the writing. I, I think you're a really good writer because I know you wrote and directed the whole thing. I think you're a really good director. Like. Like genuinely, like we're, you know, in the land of like we had Damien Leone, like when Terrifier first came out. And, you know, here's a guy that had an eye for effects, great direction, great gore. You know, it's like the independent fucking film is going crazy. And 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 you're I mean, honestly, I have no idea. Never met you. you emailed me and I'm like, OK, I'm like, maybe this will be good. Maybe it won't. I have no idea. And I'm pretty blown away. Great writing, great direction. Oh, thanks, so Thank you. I'll shut the fuck up and let Brian say something. I was just going to say, you mentioned Kolchak, and I love that. The night. I, I love that. I, that show was never on my radar back in the day. And someone told me to check it out because I yeah, obviously Twilight Zone, certain anthology shows I, sure. I love. We all know those ones. But I never had seen that one. That's a fantastic deep cut of yeah. those shows. Um, yeah. Are yeah. there any other shows that? that that uh influenced you i mean all of them like you know twilight zone outer limits the uh, tales from the dark side amazing stories uh creep show the trilogy of terror cat's eye all that stuff loved them all loved loved the whole anthology feel um and again i just like that you could sit down and watch completely different stories i really enjoyed black mirror uh on netflix i thought oh my god amazing amazing yeah yeah that's a great amazing writing on that um so i just i just have i just love that stuff because again there's so many different stories and themes and lessons um watching a twilight zone marathon you watch so many moral lessons and 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 people get their up and comings and 
It's just, it's so much fun. And, and what we were trying to capture with this feature was that feeling of, you know, and, and I'm a huge horror fan, but I also know that there's kind of that world of people that are not horror fans that I want to see my work. And I think an anthology like this, you could appeal to those people that I'm not a horror fan, but I love Jaws. I'm not a horror fan, but I love The Exorcist. I'm not a horror fan, but uh, I watched Twilight Zone. Um, there are a lot of people out there like that and that they enjoyed this kind of filmmaking. And for me, as I'm, I'm a dad as well, and I have a couple of kids. And my kids, my son Jack was actually the star in the, of the in, last, in the last one. Yeah. Um, my daughter was in a film that I made pre in the previous anthology called The Gift. And I, I like that I could share these films with them and that they're still creepy and that they're, they're, they still have these horror elements and such. But it's not it's 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 great storytelling. Like I said, with most of these, most of these other anthologies that I mentioned, most of these have been on television and they're just things that you can watch um, with a broader audience. And uh, I'm I'm just trying to make stuff along those lines because as as much as I like some certain niche type films, I also understand that those are not going to be seen as broadly when you're working on these ideas. And these ideas that I like make me feel like this this is the stuff I loved when I was a kid, and I went to the movies and I put on the television. This is the stuff that I loved watching that really stole um, away my imagination, and um, that's 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 why I have this passion for them. I think what it's, did I you think, think of the uh, new Twilight Zone? Just curious. I haven't seen it yet. The Jordan Peele yeah. one, right? Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. Was that on Paramount? Yeah, Plus? Paramount Plus. When it first came out. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, because I don't, I don't have Paramount review. Plus. And I was kind of caught in this thing where I'm like getting all these different, because I had just gotten rid of cable and I started getting all these different Hulu and Netflix. And, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and then I saw that that was on Paramount Plus, and I was like, you know what? Let me just wait a little while and see if it goes on one of these other things that I've yeah, I've gotten. But yeah, I haven't point. seen. It. How, how how did you like it? I was I was kind of lukewarm on it, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's tough when you take on that franchise's name. There's a sure. lot of comparison. I mean, you're talking about one of the most timeless, amazing shows that's ever been on. I mean, it sure. still holds up episode after episode. So. Um, I wasn't a huge fan, Sam. You liked it, right? I loved it. Um, yeah. but I mean, just like anything, like it, it, I think there was like two seasons, so it's like eventually you'll catch a dud. One is going to be amazing. Like sure. I, I was definitely in uh on a lot of them because it was just um, I don't know, you know, th there's something about you know a short story you know even though they weren't that short they were like 45 close to an hour uh that if if something doesn't really work then there's the next episode and you 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 know you latch on to that sure it, i think at the end of the day i'm glad that it exists and and a lot of things that even i don't connect with all the way through i'm glad they exist because it's like we get more twilight zone stuff and then like right. i i feel like jordan peele isn't gonna co-sign something that he feels is whack so like even if he kind of likes the episode or whatever like so i i thought it was a really cool attempt yeah yeah i i um, get it too it's i get it it's better it is better to have those things on television than not at all <laughs> for sure yeah. yeah at least and 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 the great thing about anthologies that's always been something that i knew making these anthologies as well as well if they don't like this one they're gonna love the next one or if they Absolutely. don't like the next one, they they're probably gonna look, you know. So there's some options. 
Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, you're you're doing press and reaching out to people because I feel like you believe in this movie and your writing, which is rightfully so. Like, you know, it's like when, when you know you have something that if people gave a, a chance to, which we did randomly, otherwise I probably I, who knows, maybe I would never have seen it. You're like, sure. hey, check this out. Um, and, and, and it really connected. So, but the last thing, so like your son's in the last one. So yeah. what's it like, like directing, you know, like your young, young son and, and, um, obviously it's, it's very sci-fi based and the yeah. movie posters in the room are all sci-fi too. So like, what yeah. was that like? It was excellent. It was excellent. So much fun. Um, there's such a long story behind robot and how that movie came to be, but, uh, um, my son, I had actually, during COVID, I had actually been doing um, some a web series called uh, The Chilling Childhood Adventures of Jack and Cody, which play into this anthology, actually. Yeah. And if you see those on YouTube, you'll see how it all plays right into the anthology. But uh, those two kids, it was a means of us to keep busy during the lockdowns. Cody, uh, his friend Cody lived right around the corner, and his parents are good friends of ours. And we probably decided about probably about three weeks to a month in. We were like, we got to get these kids together. This is crazy. Um, they were losing their minds. So they would come over to each other's houses and hang out. And we started, it was kind of the kids idea to start it. They're like, we want to shoot this little scene. And I did it with them. And I said, why don't we do some more stuff? And we wound up creating this web series out of it that I, I put all this work, like editing it and special effects and stuff. And, uh, it was really funny how 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 into it I got. I had to actually stop myself a few times and say, remember, they're just trying to have fun. <laughs> you know, yeah. the director and me started coming out. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, need you to give me real tears. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the kids both showed me that they were naturals. They were very comfortable. They took direction very easily. And so when my son uh, did his part in Robot, we ran lines at home. He rehearsed. He knew his stuff. He was on the he was on the money, and it was just uh, a really exciting and and wonderful time to share with them. And there's <clears throat> there were so many nightmare stories from set that had nothing to do with the actors. Just Murphy's Law. We lost power. There was a storm the night before. There was no running water. There was all this crazy stuff we had to deal with on set. Um. And my son was uh, just a trooper through everything. Didn't complain about anything. Didn't. I mean, we were shooting until two o'clock on the morning on day two. He never complained. He just asked me once, "Hey, are we almost done, Dad?" And I was like, "Yeah, we're almost there." And he's like, "Okay." I mean, it was it's it was so cool. And then to do a science fiction movie, and it, that one for me was so much fun because my son was playing that little boy that we always saw in the '80s movies, right? It was always like yeah. the Goonies and that kid squad and. Like, this is the little kid, and he's the only one that sees the werewolf in the woods. He's trying to warn everybody. And um, so he, I wanted him to play that part, and I, I just thought he nailed it. And it was, for me, it was really, like, living that experience was was me making. That was my personal little E.T., you know, me and my son being able to make that together. And uh, so many people continue to remind me when they see it. Number one, not not only that they thought he was great in the movie, but number two, they say, you know, you'll you'll always have this with your kid, um, which is very special for me too, as a dad and as a filmmaker, you know? I know, uh, so Langan down there uh, has a young kid as well, and and I, I think he always tries to show him things that you like, so like, what, what is young Jack 
you know, what has he gravitated towards that you've shown him? Because I, I know Brian, you know, you guys have some disconnect on certain things, but connections on other things. Way right? more. I don't know when he's hitting 12 for some reason. We're like the Nirvana band he's in and we have movie night every Saturday. We're like locking into it like a nice area. But for a while, he'd fight me on shit. I mean, like, I don't like that as much as you do. But now it's coming to a good That's place. Good. But yeah. What about you, man? Yeah, Jack. Uh, Jack, Jack is a—he's a huge Marvel movie fan. Um, when he was little, I showed him the original Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and uh, every—that was like boom, Spider-Man pajamas, Spider-Man pillowcase, Spider-Man, everything became Spider-Man after that. Absolutely love Spider-Man. Watched all the Marvel movies. Um, I had him watch all the Star Wars movies. Younger, he was very like a sponge with all this stuff. He really enjoyed a lot of it. He likes drawing. Um, we watch Mandalorian together now, uh, but he's also kind of into his own stuff, like stuff that I'm not into, like Fortnite and these other video games. And now he's beyond Fortnite now. Now he's got the Oculus. Um, Oculus so, is crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's his world. Like he does all that stuff. And then I'll say, hey, for my son, and, and he never uses it. He doesn't use it. He doesn't use it. I use it. <laughs> yeah. See, I was using it a few times too, but I said, this is really dangerous because number yeah. one, I'm going to like not let him use it anymore. I'll be using it all the time. Yeah. And uh, I could just see like, I, I, I don't think he's got any of the really expensive high tech uh, games that you could play. Like yeah. he's playing the gorilla thing or whatever. And, and sure, sure. it's all cool. But like a buddy of mine's got some of the star Wars stuff for the Oculus which he told me is amazing. You know, it's just amazing. I think it would be very dangerous for me. Like I would stop making movies and just play Oculus all day. Yeah. Uh, my, fr my friend says this, when his son plays, he, he's like, dude, I, sometimes I got to remind him to like go to the bathroom. Like, yo, tap him on the shoulder. Like, yo, it's been like three hours. Let's go yeah. Anytime I jump on that thing, like, you know, I don't use it as much because it like fucks up my equilibrium sometimes. Like, yeah. I'm just like, Maybe man, yeah. Ones, bro. yeah, it's like mad fucking. Yeah. You guys remember the anthology movie Nightmare or Nightmares yes. with yes. Emilio Estevez? Yes. Like where he's oh, playing shit. the video game and the video game comes out, the bishop yeah. or whatever. Yo, that every time I every time I think of Oculus, I think of like that. fucking <laughs> Right. Because he's he goes like young Emilio Estevez goes and he's like beating this game and then the game comes to life and. Yeah. doesn't end there well there's a lot him. of horror like that and then the lawnmower man and whatnot like yeah remember how like oh yeah virtual reality is gonna be the shit and that stuff was so wack looking when you look at like, <laughs> right back then we were like holy oh shit. absolutely oh yeah but, um so you know we we all have dna and we all have influences you know um you know, like i said when i write music you know I, my influences just come out so what's in your dna like what made you want to start making movies you know um what are some things that just affected you in a way that you're like this is what i want to do forever so I, what really got me into movies was um probably like ray harryhausen and watching sinbad and watching jason and the argonauts Zion. and watching king kong and because as a kid it was like how are they doing that? And then to find out that they were basically moving toys around and moving their arms and legs and, and taking pictures of them. I'm like, they get to play with toys for a living. Like, this is great, right? You're, you're basically 
they're basically playing with toys and filming it and saying, this is our story. And, and that's what I would sit in my room with my toys and I'd have my story of what was going on. And so I, I, I it was a, it was like the making of, um, I think I saw the making of the empire strikes back and star Wars. And I saw them moving the tauntauns and the blue screens and the ships and the firecrackers. And I was just blown away by looking at that. And then they, you know, they, then they cut over and they show you the scene in the film and I was so blown away because I, I always had a wild imagination. And I just said, this is amazing that this is how they make this stuff happen. And um, I, I was just always kind of drawn to movies, universal monster movies. And, and I used to watch a lot of Westerns and war movies with my dad when I was a kid. They just had a lot of great acting and great stories and things that would make you think a lot. And I, that was something that I enjoy about movies is movies that make you think. And as much as I like a movie that is, you know, kind of brainless, like Friday the 13th, part 15 or whatever, where you just know it's just going to be gore and dummies getting killed and, and cool kills and scenarios like that. It's always those movies that kind of make you sit there when the credits are rolling and you're like, God, that's so screwed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And those are the movies that always touch me are like, you know, you're laying in bed at night and you're going. And if that guy had only done this, his wife would have lived like, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And so I grew up on a lot of stuff like that. And people say, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite director? What was your favorite movie? And I I just can't answer those questions because it's this combination of everything. Yeah, I could never. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I just a combination. Right. You remember the first film that scared you? You know, it was probably something like um, something from the 70s that was on television. And oh, what's that movie? Oh, gosh, I should Google it real quick. With Ernest Borgnine and William Shatner. Uh, oh, the satanic one. Yeah. Right. There was something I remember about that something movie. Something offering? No, no, no. That's burnt offerings I was thinking of. Yeah, it was, it oh, was the devil. I know what the you're talking about. It? Yeah, yeah. Something of the devil. Mark of the devil? Mm. Good, good. God. I knew you it. Look it up. Yeah, young look Jamie it up. Jamie over here. Y young Jamie, look it up. When you were mentioning Ray Harryhausen, I was thinking Clash of the Titans. I think Medusa oh, yeah. might have been the first thing that tripped me out. Yeah, that scared yeah, the shit out yeah. of me. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, good call on that Medusa for sure. Cause yo, I rewatched Clash of the Titans not too long ago and it was like I felt like I was five. I just couldn't yeah. I'm like my oh, brain couldn't great. handle it. It yeah. was up on Netflix and I'm just like, oh my God. I'm like, I remember all this. And the new one, nothing did nothing for me. As antiquated and when I went to show my son it, I was like, we have to watch the old one. I know the yeah. new one has new all like the new effects, but it doesn't have that same charm. But the I Devil's think that's rain. Devil's rain, right? Yes. There was a lot of stuff in those old 70s horror flicks that were always very disturbing. I think it was the mixture of that weird psychedelic music. A lot of that <laughs> yeah. like weird, like eh, those weird hits and then like the quick zooms and stuff that were really kind of weird and trippy that would freak me out. I remember there was an anthology called The Monster Club that had Vincent Price and John Carradine in it. Joe Bob Briggs just did a show on, well, not just, maybe a season. Oh, yeah, ago. he did. He did, he did an episode on it. Yeah. So there's an episode of that where a director is scouting a location and he goes to this town that's like be on this road 
that goes between these hedges and it's but through this fog and he finds this town and it's this little town with these people in it and but there he doesn't see many of them he'll see one here one there and they look really weird drawn and skinny and small um and it turns out to be a town filled with ghouls and um when he goes in there this color is very desaturated and everything right when he comes in from the real world and he goes in there it's like everything almost looks almost black and white it's just very pale a lot of flat tones and um that one particular story freaks me out because there's this great scene where they find this book that this priest had kept logs of what had happened to the town and the story was that one ghoul came and the priest found him eating at a grave site and the priest took him into the church and tried to save him and feed him and take care of him and um the ghoul winds up escaping and leaving and comes back to the town with like a hundred other ghouls and they wind up taking over to the town and the director finds out at the end of the movie that all these people that he see, these are the ghouls living in the town. Oh, and wow. uh, it's got such a kind of old, funny, cliche ending. He escapes the town. He calls for help. The police find him on the road. He gets in the police car. Police car drives him back to the town to see what's going on. And when they arrive, at the, t the cops, the, the guy's like, don't go back to the town. And the police stop and they turn around and they're ghouls too, right? Like they smile and you see their teeth and they're ghouls. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's the ending. But when I saw that when I was younger and you see the artwork of the ghouls coming into the town as the guy's flipping the pages of the book, it's really super well done and very creepy. And the music they play as they're telling the story, it's real frightening. So little things like that always just sat with me. Whether or not they scared me, um, where I like jumped out of my seat or whatever. It's kind of hard for me to remember that. Jaws probably did that to me most of all when I was a kid. But a lot of those other things, like those psychic psychedelic seventies movies or all those other creepy old horror movies, were ones that just made me sit and think and say, "That's really weird." That That's the weird. first. The, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, no. I was going to say the first movie when I think about it that did that to me was Pieces. I remember yeah. just being I so yeah. I remember I remember being How a kid. How old were you when you saw that? That's yeah, exactly. Up, <laughs> All right. So I remember because mom and pop shops, we would rent shit. And Friday the 13th, you know, Halloween, all that stuff was fine. And then one day you get to like pieces and you're just like, yo, this movie this is, is another level. Yo, it's yeah. another level. It's just it was just a whole nother level. And I remember me and my cousins rent. <laughs> would watch the movie and like sometimes like like we would like kind of like look but not at the screen if we were like you know what i mean like if it kind of creeped us out right. and that movie in particular so that was 82 i must have rented it i mean if i was four maybe i was like six seven eight like just really fucking young watching pieces yeah. well, okay. and Yo, next level that and like maniac when like fucking Savini's oh, yeah. head gets blown off yeah. were the two things where I was just like, whoa, I'm like, I need to backtrack. I don't know. Like, I, it just <laughs> right. made maniac Friday. Maniac is so disturbing. I mean, as yeah. a kid, it's just dripping with every aspect of it. It's <laughs> disturbing. Sure. Um. So if it, I just got a couple more questions, Um. Sure, if man. if I gave you five million dollars, what kind of movie would you make? 
you know, I'd make a I'd make like a superhero. one million dollar movie and put the other four in my pocket. <laughs> 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 no, you know, it's funny. I've I've had that question posed to me before. You know, I think when you watch my films, um, I would make the same kinds of films, uh, but I it would definitely be on a larger scale. I think something that we do well at is that we cheat at is we make our productions look really high budget with our locations. Um, the end of robot, the end of robot was like, I don't want to like really give it away, but like the end of robot, I was just like, what the fuck am I like? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We That's it's, it's, you know, that's the movie magic, man. It's the illusion. And, and I think that what we do well is we're able to make very low budgets look high budget. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. So I sometimes think that working with a really large budget, would almost take away some of that independent filmmaking magic, that guerrilla filmmaking stuff that you do. You know, so for instance, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rodrigo Bustamante uh, and myself built the time machine for Soothsayer. Um, the, the time that went into that, the planning, the fun that we had, drinking beers, building that thing, discussing it, designing it, taking pictures of us working on it. That time is, was, was so great and if you think with a bigger budget, I probably would have turned that over to some prop department and never been involved in any of it, right? And somebody else would have built it. And who knows? I'm sure it would have came out great. But it's those little things like that that you think the money would probably, you know, more go into. And as as I'm watching, you know, Soothsayer, and that part comes on with like the dials and like the lights and all that. In my head, I'm thinking like, yo, what the fuck did this guy get? I just thought you found like some like random ass shit because yeah, it, it's man. very eye catching where I'm just like, what is this thing that they like? I'm like, did he was he driving on the side of the road and saw like a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. we were uh, we were sitting in a production meeting and I said and I have a notepad. I go, yeah, the time machine's going to look something like this. And I drew essentially what it looked like. And I said, this is what I'm thinking for it. Um, the idea of the time machine kind of came from those old 1950s movies where the, they'd be in a lab and there'd be some big, you know, console with dials and bu buttons on it. Star Trek, the bridge, right? All the big buttons and screens. And I said, I love that. It looks, that's old, that's so old school sci-fi. Like there's things working here, right? Despite the fact that it, like technology now continues to get smaller and smaller. Like I like the giant knobs and the levers and stuff, right? I love that stuff. Um, so I drew it. And then uh, when it came time to actually build it, I uh, I went out and I bought some large panel board, cardboard. And I said, I'm going to make it out of cardboard first because I want to make sure it could fit in my car. It could fit through the doorways because I wanted, I thought about trans transporting it and setting it to set and location. I said, I don't want to wind up the day comes and we go to pick this thing up and now I can't get it into the car. So uh, we did some measurements and I, at home, I drew it, I cut it, I built it and I just taped it together into a three-dimensional object and we've got photos of it and everything. And I brought it to my friend's house and I, my friend Rody's house. I said, this is what we're going to make. And he said, let's go to Home Depot. We bought some wood, came back and just, just, we had the prototype and then we built the actual uh, machine and his uh, expertise was in the electronics of it all. So we put an actuator in there and the moving uh, clocks and all that kind of stuff. So uh, put the lights in, he did all the wiring for that. And uh, you know, so the whole, uh, the, the whole experience of doing that was amazing and, and fun and creative. Um, if you have $5 million budget, that doesn't happen, right? I'm just kind of like, 
here, make this, you know, so you, you, you would just get four and a half to Nicholas cage and just take the rest for the movie. <laughs> right, <that's all>. right. <laughs> but, uh, so, all right. In the movie, you know, you're talking about like, you know, technology getting smaller, which is true. So, um, even though I could, the kids watching a fucking movie on a phone is the most mind blowing thing of all time. Now, um, let's talk about like uh, the screening, like where could people watch this? Like how long before it's like actually streaming? I know that you're doing some screenings. You said like in New Jersey. So, yeah. and, and here's, here's the thing that, that you also mention uh, as you play that character in the movie. I love going to the movies. I still do. I love sitting there. I don't give a yeah. fuck if I'm the only person there or, or with a whole bunch of other people, you know, like when I saw barbarian, we were by ourselves when yeah, I saw yeah. Terrifier 2, it was like a pack crowd. So both of those things have merits. Um, but yeah, that just the popcorn, just I never fell out of love with just going to the fucking movies. It is fun occasionally. Like if I want to watch The Whale, maybe I'll I'll rent it because it doesn't feel like something that I need to see in a theater, but something right. that I feel like is like a cinematic experience. Like mm -hmm. I will always choose just going to the fucking theaters. So what's the release on this going to be like? Yeah, so we're looking for a limited theatrical run right now. We're in we're in talks with a couple of distributors to see what they can make happen. I feel that this film particularly should be seen on the big screen. Um, the whole theme of the wraparound story actually pertains to why it's so important to go to the movies and that experience, that collective experience that you get when you're sitting with an audience. And there's particular movies. And it's usually horror movies or it's action movies or it's even comedies. Uh, dramas, not so much, but the rest are really great to see with a huge crowd. You love to laugh together. You love to scream together. You love to applaud stuff blowing up together. Um, that that experience of going to the movies is <clears throat> is so important. Um, so that's why we are arranging uh, screenings. We premiered in the Cranford Theater in Cranford, New Jersey to a sold out crowd of over 200. It was fantastic. Um, we are following that up with a screening at Smod Castle Cinemas in the Atlantic Highlands. Uh, if you guys don't know, that belongs to Ernie O'Donnell and Kevin Smith. They've taken it over and they're supporting independent film in New Jersey awesome. uh, by, by screening films there. So that was really great. We screened there. Uh, Splinter was part of uh, um, the uh, Smod Castle Film Festival. It was their first uh, year that they did it last year. And we got to go see the film festival, got to meet Kevin and Ernie. And uh, it looks and sounds great. The theater looks amazing. And just if you're a filmmaker and you're independent and you want your film to be seen and you're in Jersey, reach out to Smod Castle because they do a wonderful job. Uh, so we're going to be doing that on April 22nd. Um, we're doing an early afternoon showing. We're screening at 1.30. Um, and then afterwards, we're going right down the street for an after party to kind of hang out with everybody and just talk film man, and talk movies. And like we used to when you were kids and you came out of the movie and you and your friend yeah. would go and just, what did you think about this part? What was your favorite part? What? Yeah, I can't believe he died. I can't believe that one didn't. You know, so that's um, that's the plan. You taking it to festivals and whatnot, and what's that hustle like? How's that? Yeah, that, so that individually, circuit? all the shorts have actually been in festivals already. Uh, Soothsayer mm -hmm. won a Best Actor and a Best Sci-Fi Film, and I think I won a Best Director for Soothsayer at the Cutting Room Film Festival. Splinter won the Best Feature, uh, Homegrown uh kevin smith award the first ever at the garden state film festival uh last year um as well as well as the best actor for jim thalman um haunted is shown at the garden state film festival on march 25th 
uh, and Robot uh, won Best Editing and was nominated for Best Sci-Fi Short at the Austin Revolution Film Festival. So they've all kind of made their rounds to uh, to a bunch of film festivals. And the feature as a whole, I don't know that I'm going to submit them to any, with the exception of maybe the Macabre Fair Film Festival down in Tennessee, which I have a personal uh, connection there. And one of our executive producers runs that festival. And he's a we go way back. And I might um, just give it to those guys as kind of like an opening night film. We'll do that. Uh, but uh yeah, after after the showing in Smod Castle, there's a couple of other theaters that we're looking to nail down. I don't have really firm answers from them yet, so I don't want to call them out just yet. But uh, we're trying to get into a, a few more theaters and hopefully our distribution, if that comes through, they'll be able to get us a larger theatrical run. And we get some more theaters because I do feel like this is a movie that belongs on the screen. How do we how do we promote it for you, though? Like, how do we get the word out? Like, um, how could we help you? Well, uh, we're on social media, Theater of Terror. Uh, we have a website, theaterofterror.net. Um, I have created an event page for the Smod Castle screening. Um, it's returned to the Theater of Terror at Smod Castle uh, Cinemas. And uh, I'll, I could share that with you guys. Uh, if you could share that event page, that would be great. We're really trying to get into our premiere in Cranford was great for the northern New Jersey and New York friends. And now we're trying to reach out to the southern New Jersey, Pennsylvania fans. Uh, get them to turn out for the Smod Castle screening. So if you could share the event page and, yeah. um, you know, trailers or whatever. I can yeah, share stuff with you guys. whatever. Yeah, whatever, whatever you need for sure. Just uh, send it to me and we will. Um, now, real quick, like in closing, because we're talking about anthologies and man, I'm telling you from Mortuary Collection, Nightmare Cinema, there's like a really there's a bunch of really good ones that have been out. Um but also like the TV shows, Tales from the Crypt, uh, you know, everything to do. Um, what are some anthology stories through fucking the beginning of time till today <laughs> that really stick out? Because to me, I'm always going to go. The two that always like hit me are Tales from the Crypt when when um, John Aston it like they're in like the insane you know they're doing like the shakespeare thing john lovitz is there yes like, yeah, yeah. that yes. one was fucking great uh the raft of course from creep show oh, yeah those are the two that are just like off the top of the dome and shit like i don't lang and have you got any i was gonna say the raft that's like probably my penultimate one i don't know i can just know it's like the back of my head really stuck okay. with me yeah is there anything for you tom if we're talking creep show, it's probably the crate. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's probably the crate, and probably for a mixture of both the film and and the comic book version of that too was really cool because at the end they show that crate there in the water, the bubbles are coming out, like you know he's still alive in the in the in the water. So that's really cool. In the film, it breaks open, doesn't it? Right. Uh I when I don't know if it breaks open. I think you just like see the eyes, and then it goes to the comic. Yeah, I could be I'm, wrong though. I'm gonna look at that again. I I almost think in the film they showed the crate open under the water, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong about it. Maybe that's just my imagination saying that would have been a cool. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I... it stands out. Uh, an old Twilight Zone episode. There's a few old Twilight Zone episodes that I really, really love. Uh, one of them for me that really stands out. There's the obvious one with Burgess Meredith, where his glasses breaks, and and now he knows he's he'll never be able to read. That one is a favorite, but I really like the one where the guy's got the doomsday bunker and uh, his neighbors want them to want him to let them in. Um, and they were always making fun of him for having the bunker. And then when the air sirens go off, they want him to 
let him in and they finally break down the door and break in and the whole thing was like a drill and he realizes you know his neighbors all walk away in shame like after everything that they said and accused him of that's a that's a really good one too but i i could like i said it's like asking me for favorites if we sat yeah. here long enough i could name a hundred of them I want to throw I, uh, in one more. I just thought it too. Remember the Twilight Zone, the movie, the 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 boy that the family's all scared of. Yeah, when he yeah. erased the sister's mouth, man, yes. that shit freaked me out. Like, yes, you know, that's like, another gigantic great one. rabbit. Yes, that's a great one. <laughs> I totally forgot. So la last year, my band put out an album called Something to Tide You Over, and I had my friend take the picture he dunked his head in a hot tub and we took a picture because i i love that something to tide you over yeah with, that's uh, great. ted dancing so yes but, uh, yes uh hey man thanks for hanging out with us and thanks for yeah, sending man. us the movie we loved it you're we're I'm, I'm a big fan now thank you so much guys i appreciate yeah. the feedback and and just chat with you guys about it. it's always fun as a filmmaker to just talk about stuff that you liked and 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 what you guys liked about it that's what's important to me I'm just glad it wasn't terrible. I wasn't sure. You never know. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm like, holy shit! And you watch it. I wasn't. I wasn't. I texting you. I was like, yo, this is pretty yeah. fucking good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, anytime yeah. you got something going on, man, feel free reach out. But anyway, yeah, hey, right, man. For sure. Appreciate anything that it. you need me to to put on, you know, anything that you need me to attach to the episode, just like email it to me or message it to me. And uh, Tom, cool. man, thanks. Thanks for talking. All right, Thank man. You. Thank you, fellas. Thanks very much. Let Have it. a great, great weekend, man. Let it. Take care. Take care.